We just love mornings like this where we can see a very physical representation of our mission to see somebody take that step, a step that we believe God has called us to. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's exciting because we believe in this mission. We believe that God showed his heart to us, that he pursued us, and he's called us to tell others and pursue others and allow them to know that God pursues them as well. It's really the heart of this series we're going to dive into over the next few weeks. And uh, As we look through the text of Luke, we'll come across a story where Jesus interacts with a, a woman and the, the translators of the New International Version of the Bible translate a single Greek word, which means compassion. They translate it, his heart went out to her. And I love that translation of the word because it's, it's interesting. You think about when we use that phrase, my heart goes out to them. It's that my heart was stirred for somebody. I feel what they're feeling. And maybe we can't do anything about their situation, but we wish we could. And it's like we're tossing out that love and that compassion to them wherever they are. And that just stirred me to think about God the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the, the one who needs no thing, his heart being stirred for us. That he would be stirred in his heart or have compassion, compassion in his heart for us. And I couldn't get past that phrase. And so I started digging in the stories and thinking about what did that look like. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at incidents in Jesus' life where he's he's contacting or interacting with individuals and his heart is stirred for them whether it's in their despair in their hopelessness in their doubts and so many other arenas and we get a glimpse of God's heart and it's spawned and this we're going to look at the text here Luke 7 and here's where it kind of it just sprung out of the text to me it says in Luke chapter, chapter 7 verse 11 soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Here's a woman who's in deep despair. She's struggling, and we're told that Jesus' heart went out to her. He's approaching this town. He's approaching it with his own entourage, his own crowd. And as he's approaching the town, there's a woman coming out of the town, and she's lost something very precious in her life. And I don't know if you ever thought about it. You know, we probably, I know there are many people in this room who have suffered loss and have gone through my own loss in my life. I know there are people in this room, people listening at home, you've lost children, you've lost parents, you've lost siblings. And probably, if I'm honest, one of the strangest things in those times in our life is that the world keeps going on. You ever thought about that? And when you're going, to, in essence, you're in a place where life has stopped. Everything around you has stopped. The only thing that matters is what's right in front of you, and yet laughter continues, and people continue to go to work, and everybody else's world continues to spin, and it's really uncomfortable, and it's hard to accept at times. I think about it, maybe you've thought about it on the other side. It's really strange for me. I often have these situations where I'm called to meet with a family who just lost somebody that they loved. 
And I may go and visit with them on a Saturday morning and talk about their family member and gain some history and some of the story. And what's super strange is that I spend that moment and then I drive home and maybe watch Spider-Man with my children. This is the contrast of the two realities that their world has ceased and my world continues to spin. When I'm driving down the road and I see a funeral procession, I have no Catholic history, I don't have any Catholic background, but I want to do the cross thing just to indicate to them that I see you, I recognize it's very odd when I think about I could be going to extreme air to jump on trampolines while they're going somewhere to put their loved one in the ground. You ever thought about that? What's really intriguing to me is that when we find ourselves in those moments where life stops and it seems like everybody else just keeps going about life, God doesn't. He pauses. He sees. And he pursues. I'm going to look at his story. We see this, this woman in the town of Nain. What's so intriguing is that the town is, the, the, the meaning of that word is pleasant or delightful. She lives in the town of pleasant. And I don't know, I, I don't use the word delightful a lot. I don't find myself in the day-to-day saying, oh, that was delightful. It just doesn't seem masculine enough, maybe. I just I don't use it a ton. But if I use that word... It would probably be to, to describe a moment that was very soothing, that was relaxing, refreshing, brought energy to me. And the truth is probably every one of us in this room, we would use pleasant or delightful to describe very different experiences. We all have our own version of pleasant. If I were to ask you what, is, what, what would be a pleasant thing for you, it may be very different from mine. I know there are individuals in this room who would tell me pleasant is sitting in a cold tree stand waiting for some animal to come by. Not super pleasant for me. Maybe for you, pleasant is hiking miles and miles and miles up a mountain. That wouldn't be my description of pleasant. My description of pleasant might be cold winter's day with a blanket by the fire watching a movie with my family. Or 75 degrees outside, not a cloud in the sky, I'm shooting my best golf score ever. That's delightful. That's what I would really enjoy. You would describe it differently. But here's this woman in the town of Pleasant, and life is anything but pleasant. We're told not only did she just lose her only son, she also was a widow. So at some point in her life, she lost her husband as well. Life has been anything but pleasant. And if you were to read commentaries, the commentators would tell us, and it's true, historically, they would tell us that this was very bad for her because economically she had nobody to provide for her. They would tell you and accurately that Now, not only losing her husband, losing her son, there was nobody to provide for her. But I would imagine if you said that to her, she would find it very offensive. The woman has probably not eaten for days. She's not concerned about food or money or any of those things. She just lost her only child after not long ago losing her husband. The world is anything but pleasant for her. And Jesus... In his mission and pursuit of the gospel and proclaiming the kingdom doesn't pass her. It's as he's entering this city, 
he has his own crowd. He has an entourage with him. He has a few disciples now. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of people following him as he goes town to town. And here she's coming out of the city with her own crowd. It's a small town. It's likely everybody knew everybody. But it was common in their cultural setting that if a funeral procession was happening, other people would join it to show solidarity, to show that they were connected or showed compassion for what she was going through. So she's coming out of the town with a crowd. He's going into the town with a crowd. And they don't just pass. Jesus sees her and he pursues her. He sees her in her struggle, and he goes to her, and he says, don't cry. It's a bold statement. When somebody just lost what they lost, to say to her, don't cry, it wasn't that Jesus was eliminating or saying grief was wrong, but he was about to do something in her life that would completely restore, restore everything that she lost. Paul would tell us that we can mourn, we can grieve, but not as those who don't have hope. We grieve knowing that there is a hope in Christ Jesus. And Jesus pursues her and pursuing her, begins to reveal to her that he's about to bring restoration in her life. It says this, then he went up and he touched the bier they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. He restored what she lost, gave him back. And notice what Luke does as he records this story. There are countless, maybe hundreds of people following her out of the city. There's hundreds to possibly thousands of people following Jesus into the city. If Luke later writes this story, there would have been enough people to step up and say, uh, no, Luke didn't happen that way. But there are countless witnesses who could say, yes, that occurred. I saw it. I was there. And Jesus walks up to this young man who's being carried out of the city Everybody knows he's dead. And he says to him, get up. And immediately that young man gets up, begins to speak, and he gives, her, gives him back to this widow, restoring what she's lost. And what began as a day of another day of unpleasant, it would end as a day of great celebration in her life. What I recognize is that this, while it was a great moment for her, for this young man, for everybody around, this was just a foreshadowing of another great day that would come. Have you ever thought about, maybe some of you study the scripture, you read through it, you read stories like this where Jesus raises somebody from the dead. There are three different instances in the New Testament that we find that. He would even raise his great friend Lazarus from the dead. We see prophets in the Old Testament do the same. Have you ever wondered what they're thinking when they come back? I don't know if maybe they had a sense of eternity. They had a little glimpse into eternity, and then all of a sudden they come back to this broken world, and they're like, wait, what? No, 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 why? I always wonder that, but we don't get any sense of that in the Scripture. But then I always think this reality, this young man would eventually die again. Jesus brought him back to life. He would bring Lazarus back to life, but this young man, his mother, Lazarus, would all die again. What would that moment feel like? 
Would they know? Would they say, oh, I felt this before. I know, I know what this is. But what Jesus would do, this was just a glimpse. Jesus was making it very evident, I have power over death. And there will come a day when Jesus would die himself and then come back to life never to die again. And he would make this statement, all those who believe in me will live even if they die. What Jesus does here to me, it indicates that in a world that is anything but pleasant, God doesn't pass. He pauses and he pursues. And maybe you're here this morning and that's the description of your life. It's been anything but pleasant. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't just walk by. He sees it and he pursues it. He's a God whose heart goes out to us. He's a God of compassion. In the Bible, Jesus' brother James, he writes that Jesus or God is full of compassion. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes that Jesus or God is the father of compassion. He gave birth to compassion. We wouldn't know what compassion was had not God existed and shown us compassion. And as you read through the Psalms, the psalmist write about the compassion of God. I want to read for, for you Psalm 103 because here David tells us or gives us a picture of God's compassion that is far greater than any picture I could ever build. David writes this, he says, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. David writes of an immeasurable love that is as high as the heavens is from the earth and an immeasurable forgiveness where he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
Why? Because he's a compassionate God who in our despair shows up, pauses, and pursues. Luke would go on to share a story. He'd share a parable that Jesus told of a young man. You may know of him, you may have heard of him, the prodigal son. Who had a moment in his life in a very cold callous way approached his father and said give me my inheritance in essence I want what I would have if you were dead it would be better if you were dead right now and the father gives it to him and he takes everything that the father gave him and he squandered it he used it up before long he had nothing he's helping clean up after pigs and he's seeing the food that the pigs are eating thinking they eat better than I eat and in a moment of clarity, he says, I, 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 I'll try to go home. And I'll ask my father to forgive me and at least let me be a servant in his household because the servants eat better than I eat. So with that plan and with his words in mind, he starts heading home and we're told that the father saw him at a great distance, meaning he was looking for him. He was waiting for him and seeing him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father, and Jesus tells this story as a depiction of the father in heaven. The father pursued him. Before he ever could get home, ever say a word, ever go through his whole spiel, the father pursued him, threw his arms around him, and then he says to his servants, get him a ring, get him the best robe, kill some oxen so that we can feast and celebrate because my son who was dead is now alive. To me, this story, this moment is another indication that you and I do not have to clean ourselves up first before we go to Jesus. The boy couldn't even get the words out of his mouth and his father threw his arms around him and welcomed him home. This young man in the town of Naim, what could he do to fix his situation? Notice Culturally, for Jesus to touch that dead man made him, would make him unclean. But again, Jesus is not made unclean by us. He makes clean everything he touches. And that dead man could do what only dead men can do. Nothing. And you and I were dead in our sins. And we could do what only dead women and dead men could do. Nothing. We can do nothing to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves worthy of Jesus. He shows up, and in showing up, he calls out and says, young man, young woman, get up. And he breathes new life and restoration into ours. What Jesus does is he pursues and he restores everything that is lost. For this woman, it was her son. For this young man, it was his life. But what Jesus would go on to do in his own death and resurrection, he would restore the relationship that we lost with our Father. He would restore our life both now and eternally. 
Notice that this was this woman's only son. Guess who else was an only son? Jesus, God's only son, would pay the penalty for our sins so that many sons and daughters could be brought into the family of God. And this moment creates a great response. We're told they were, were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. The truth is their second statement was far better than the first. Because Jesus was more than a prophet. He was greater than Elijah. He was greater than Elisha. He was greater than any other prophet in their history. He was God himself who had shown up to give help to his people. And we're told that that news spread throughout their country. I believe that that's the news that should spread throughout ours. God showed up to help his people. In a world that is anything but pleasant, God pauses, God pursues, God's heart goes out to us. Maybe you're here this morning, you're listening at home, and that's how you would describe your life, anything but pleasant. I want you to know that God sees you. And he's pursued you through his son, Jesus Christ. And I invite you to believe in him and what he's accomplished on the cross so that you too can become a son or daughter of the family of God. For those of us who believe this, we have the greatest message, the message that should spread throughout the countryside. God showed up to help. God pursued us. Let's declare that message. Would you pray with me? God, I am so thankful for the love of Jesus Christ, for your love displayed through Jesus Christ. What I know, I know that there are people in this room who have lost individuals that they love, who have suffered so many things in life, and if they lived in a town called unpleasant or called pleasant, they would say, yeah, it's anything but that. But yet you see us. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that you, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who holds all things together, the one who needs nothing, your heart would be stirred for us. You would pursue us. You, like a father, would run to us and throw your arms around us. It doesn't make sense, but it is who you are. It's your character. You are a God who is full of compassion. You are the Father of compassion. We would not know compassion had you not birthed it. Father, I thank you for that love. I thank you for it displayed in Stacy's life and that you moved in her to take this step to proclaim to the world, God pursued me through his son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we who know this truth would declare it to the world around us that this great news, this message that God has come to help his people would spread throughout our community and throughout our world. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of your spirit.